0: Okay, our scripture can be found on the back of your bulletin. This is James 5, 1 through 6. James 5, 1 through 6. James writes to the church, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are mouth-eaten. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. The word of the Lord. Well, I don't know where you get your news. Uh, I really have uh, two trusted news sources. Uh, One is the Babylon Bee, your trusted source for Christian satire, which is very, very clever, those clever guys but the second would be uh... those uh... those uh, newspapers when you're in the uh, grocery aisle at the very end they're very very solid uh... the reporting is, is fantastic i uh, inquiring minds want to know and uh... the national inquire is uh... fantastic news and and there are many different stories many good stories but there was one that caught my eye that i was fascinated that i really wanted to read i should have read the. The title of it was simply this, Preacher Explodes in Front of Astonished Congregation. (laughs) Preacher Explodes in Front of Astonished Congregation. What a beautiful scene, right? What what a way to go out. I bring up that story because it, it would appear that James has exploded in front of an astonished congregation with a tremendous amount of vitriol and anger James is clearly furious come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you it would appear that he is wearing the garb of an Old Testament prophet as he decries the abuses of the wealthy toward the poor the first question we have to ask is who is he upset with is he speaking to the church I think his primary audience is for non-believers, people around the church, those who have hoarded wealth and have defrauded their neighbor. Perhaps they once attended this congregation or these congregations. Perhaps they are attending right now and are acting as frauds, living one way on Sunday but living a different way uh, uh, Monday through Saturday. Either way, I think we can take much from this passage. I think this passage is a warning because like those back then, we are tempted to fall prey to the excesses and the miseries that come with being rich and not using our wealth correctly. We must examine ourselves for symptoms of this sickness so that we don't end up like these people. You see, the grace of Jesus Christ frees us from the shackles of being slaves to our money. So, we're going to examine two different aspects of this sermon. Number one, where do we put our trust? Where is our hope? And finally, number two, we're going to discuss how we conduct ourselves when we're out in the real world, quote unquote. Because Jesus frees us from the shackles of being slaves. To our money well let's look at this first point where do we put our trust James begins by saying come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you he's speaking to people of means and as such he's speaking to all of us for we are people of means whether we realize it or not we live better than nine-tenths of the population of the world And he says to them to weep and howl, to grind and gnash their teeth. Why does he tell them to weep and howl? It's because of the miseries that are coming upon you, James says. Misery could be translated calamity, distress, or hardship. There is a judgment, if you will, that is coming upon these people. It's our our coming, meaning maybe it's started already, but there is a judgment that is going to come upon this particular group of people. And what is going to happen in this judgment? The first is they're going to lose all of the riches that they have spent so much time painstakingly collecting. Notice in verse 2, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Remember, a lot of the riches that people had back then were in the forms of of food and grain and full barns. Well, all of the stuff that they've collected, their harvest, is rotting before their very eyes or will be rotting before their very eyes. And the clothes that they have collected, the multiple sets of clothes, are moth-eaten. Of course, this isn't the problem for the poor back then because the poor only had one set of clothes. couldn't be moth-eaten because they were wearing them. But for the rich who have plenty, their clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver, verse 3, have corroded. Now that's very interesting because gold and silver are precious metals. They're not supposed to corrode. But what he's saying is they have not lasted. Your deposits of money on the bank, they're turning into dust. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. The very money that they have stored up is actually functioning as a witness in a courtroom to testify against them and ultimately to punish them. Now what is James condemning these people for? Is it simply having money? No, it's more than that. It's for trusting in their wealth and for hoarding their wealth. There are really two things that James is condemning them for, trusting in their wealth and hoarding their wealth. The first, trusting in their wealth. They've taken the blessings of the Lord and they've used them as a security blanket. They've placed all their hopes and their dreams on their money. It's riches that are the God of these people. And they have served riches instead of God. They have dedicated their lives to acquiring and acquiring. They've sacrificed their children on the altar of the workplace and their health. Everything has been about bowing down to the God of money. And yet they have not acknowledged God as the very one that gives them blessing. They've trusted in their wealth. And second, they have hoarded their wealth. You have laid up treasure in the last days. See, this treasure, this blessing from the Lord, they were supposed to use as a steward of God's resources. But instead, they've simply kept it to themselves. It's been a game of monopoly. How much can they acquire without looking outside themselves to a world that's in need? See, when you're given much that is given, much will be demanded. And there's a call upon them and a call upon anyone of means, including us, to care for the poor, to care for the mission of God, to love our neighbor as ourselves. But it's been all about them from the beginning to the end. And so we see that you have laid up treasure in the last days. What does it mean about the last days? Is their life ending right away? Well, that's quite possible. But the last days is a reference from the time that Jesus Christ ascended to heaven to the time that Christ is going to come again. We are living in the last days. But they have not had that perspective. Their perspective has been instead, I have all the time in the world to live the way that I want to. They haven't realized that the Lord is upon the threshold. Based on the scriptures, the Lord could come 20 minutes from now. We simply don't know. So why is James being so harsh on these people? It's Because they built their life on sinking sand. The devotion and love that is due to God they have put on silver and gold and clothes food they could have done such good for people but instead they've neglected everyone and they've wasted their life This should serve as a warning for us for our culture worships money the message we are constantly bombarded with is the more that you have the happier you will be But the reality is that's not true at all, is it? So often, the more you have, the more you want. That it's never enough. If we don't realize that money is a temporary trust from God, we will totally miss the point of wealth and riches. See, what God gives to us, he expects us to steward. Remember the parable of the talents where God gave certain uh, treasures and abilities uh, and and, uh, uh, things to different people and then told them to go and use them in his service. And there were some that did and some that simply stored it away, hid it in the ground. God calls to us to act opposite of the world not hoarding riches, but using our time and talent and treasure to bring life to others. Not simply to store it away and hoard it. I don't know if you've seen the A&E show Hoarders or not. It's, it's a train wreck. <laughs> it takes viewers into the horrendous houses of people whose obsessions with stuff has overtaken their homes and their lives. The New York Times Magazine called hoarders uh, routinely repulsive, harrowing, and unnerving. It's a picture of people that can't let go of their stuff, that they must simply acquire and acquire more and more until it literally overwhelms them and threatens to bury them alive. How do we escape the trap of hoarding our wealth instead of using it to bless those around us and to bless God. We must recognize that we are wealthy, not just materially, but rather I'm talking about the grace of Jesus Christ. See, through Christ we've been given a new record. We're justified in Him. Blameless and faultless before the throne because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of the grace of Jesus Christ, we have a new identity. We're sons and daughters of the living God. No one can take that away from us. If you are a Christian who has given their life to Jesus Christ, you have a new record, a new identity, and a new destiny. Our future is certain. We don't have to trust in the riches around this world which ultimately will will fade away. There there are no U-Hauls behind hearses, are there? There's no pockets in the suits of a dead man's clothes. Rather, the kingdom of God is our inheritance and we will be rich beyond our wildest imagination. Because of the grace of Jesus Christ, my money doesn't have to be my God. I already have a God so we must put riches in their proper place. We must steward not hoard. What is God calling me to do to bless those around me, the poor, God's church, being a part of God's mission because we must understand that the riches of this world will not last. Jesus frees us from the shackles Of being slaves to our money. This brings me to my second point, how we conduct ourselves. James is not only condemning this group of people because of how they have lived, but he's uh, condemning them because of their business practices. Notice verse 4, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. See, they have held back the riches of the workers. The way that they have gotten rich is through corruption. They've stood on the backs of others in order to become wealthy. We need to remember that these laborers who are mowing their fields are day laborers meaning the way they get they subsist is by living from hand to mouth the wages they were paid with that day is what they would use to feed their family that night and so they have held back these wages by fraud and notice that these wages are actually crying out against them the Lord keeps a record of our business practices and the cries have reached the Lord the Lord because of his graciousness and his character favors the poor first Samuel 2 8 says that God raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap and Psalm forty fourteen six says you evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor but the Lord is their refuge See, these people in this passage were given a trust, were given skills and gifts and abilities. But the purpose of their business dealings was to be a blessing. Instead, it was a curse. When people would talk about these people's businesses, they would mutter under their breath, James goes on in verse 6 You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, I think James, to a certain extent, is speaking in hyperbole here. But we need to remember these business owners are people of standing, people of influence. They can bring lawsuits against people in court. I think what he's saying is that they have used their influence to testify against and subjugate their neighbor. Perhaps this resulted in people losing their livelihood in going to prison. In other words, they've used their influence not to bless, but to rather wreak havoc on others' lives for selfish gain. But what does that have to do with us? Many of us are in business, in the business of buying and selling. We're a worker, we're a manager, we're an owner. And it's so tempting in this business culture in which we live to depersonalize people, to treat them as things, cogs, sacrifices on the altar of profits. But as Christians, we're called to a different standard. We're called to see people above profits. Not that we aren't supposed to try to make a profit, but not at the expense of people, rather at the benefit and blessing of people. We're to not only deal with people in the workplace, but we're called to bless them. For the Lord is watching You may think the Lord doesn't care about how I conduct my business affairs, but He does. He cares about how we treat others. But this is business, Carlos. You're you're a pastor. I wasn't always a pastor. I used to run a company. I used to be involved in business. And the message of the business of the world is to take no prisoners, and. Kill or be killed. But God calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And this includes when we are conducting business with them. God is calling us to sell products that genuinely help people. To pay wages that bless our workers. And to provide service to the customer that treats people like people. And not like numbers we cannot divorce Monday to Saturday from Sunday or our business from our Christianity one of my favorite people is a guy named Truett Cathy not just because he invented the chicken sandwich but because he made one of my favorite restaurants chick-fil-a but I don't know if you know a little bit of the background of Truett Cathy He was a member of First Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Georgia, and taught Sunday school there for more than 50 years. Kathy said that the Bible is his guidebook for life. And due to his strong religious beliefs, all of the company's locations, whether company-owned or franchised, are closed on Sunday to allow its employees to attend church and spend time with their families. Kathy has inaugurated many different types of programs to help the poor, to help the needy, to be a blessing to those around him. He has a leadership program, scholarship program for Chick-fil-A, which has awarded more than 23 million dollars in the past 35 years. In 1984, Kathy established the Winshape Foundation, named for its mission to shape winners. In addition, Kathy has fostered children for more than 30 years. He received the William E. Simon Prize for Philanthropic Leadership in 2008. Kathy has passed away. But his life was more than simply turning a prophet. It was about being a blessing to those around him. Now, we may not have the skills and gifts and abilities to start a multi-state chain like Chick-fil-A. But God has given us each Abilities, and he's put us in a position of influence, whether it's in the home or outside of the home. Well, Carlos, this is easier said than done. How do we free ourselves from the patterns of this world? Many of us feel like we're just cogs in the machine and have no influence. How do we stop viewing people as a means to an end instead of the end itself? The way we do that, my friends, is to remember how Jesus treats us. I mean, after all, He is God, and we are disobedient, selfish people. And yet, does He treat us like things, like cogs in the machine, like tools to simply be used? The answer is no. God loves us, and He sacrificed Himself for us in Jesus Christ. And he elevates us to the status of sons and daughters. And he wants the best for us. And so he blesses us daily in so many different ways. See, it's Jesus who gives us the power to be free from slavery to this world. To run a business, a law practice, to teach in a school, or to drive a truck, to study as a student in a way that honors him and that blesses others, to show the world the values of the Lord. So let's do so. Whatever your position of influence, resolve to be a blessing to your co-workers, to your customers, to your boss, because Jesus frees us from the shackles of being slaves to money. We don't have to live like the rest of the world. Every day is an opportunity for us to reach our hand out and to bless others because Jesus frees us from the shackles of being slaves to money. By God's grace, let us do that and be those type of people. When people think of you and your business that you're involved in, When people think of this church, they see a group of people who are content in the Lord, who are rich in the Lord, and who are using what they have to bless others in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we hear your warning. It's so easy to live in the ways of this world to seek to simply acquire, acquire, and hoard and hoard without recognizing that we have no need of these paltry riches as they are paltry in comparison to the blessings that you bestow on us every day. God, help us to see our riches as stewards and help us to use them in such a way that we recognize that we will not have them always, but rather their opportunities and tools to bring your blessing to the world around us. And so we pray uh, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would become those types of people. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.